0: Hi, I'm Ruth and this is the Recovery Coach Podcast and I am here with Allison Primo, the founder of Sober Mom Tribe. She's a sober mom coach. She has just recently completed a certification in hypnotherapy. She has got so many other exciting things going on and she has proven to be a real motivation and game changer in sobriety and especially for mothers dealing directly in a, a really straightforward and no punches pulled way with the mummy wine culture and the way she has approached her own sobriety and her own journey has been with such a raw vulnerability and openness, willingness to show up for other people. It has been inspiring to me and is inspiring to thousands. So thank you so much, Allison, for taking some time to talk with me this morning.
1: You're welcome. You're gonna have me crying already.
0: <laughs> and the first thing I want to say is, congratulations! Three years.
1: I know three years today. Wow. I can't believe it.
0: Yeah, that is fabulous. So how did you? How did you do three years?
1: Well, I'm. It was definitely hard at first. Um, I had tried to get sober two other times before this last time and this last time I went to detox so I had to experience that low rock bottom in order to be like all right Allison you need to get your shit together or you're going to die so you know I did detox and then after I got out of detox I ended up getting referred to a therapist, and I credit a lot of of the things that I've gone through and accomplished to her. Um, she really gave me the strength, hope, and tools to keep moving forward. And I, like I said, I don't know what I would do without her. I still go to her to this day, in the beginning, I was going once a week, and it really helped build the foundation for my sobriety.
0: Yeah, it's it's not something that you do by yourself, and I think that's one of the uh, tricks that alcohol plays on us is that we think that we're all alone. And, exactly. Yeah. So when you when you when you start to get sober and I I talk a lot about this, but you, you find a tribe. So just tell me a little bit about, you know, your story about how you um, started drinking, what, what brought you to the point where you noted, you knew that you needed to stop. And then also a little bit, because you did this with a young son as a single parent. So let's talk a little bit about that as well.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So, You know, I really say that my drinking wasn't any different than a lot of others. In the beginning, you know, I experimented here and there with alcohol in high school. And then I went to college, uh, went to University of Connecticut, and it's a big party school. And, you know, I really thought binge drinking wasn't a big deal. Like, I thought it was the norm. I thought everybody went to college and just got flat out wasted and couldn't remember things. Um, but after that, I, you know, I graduated from college and then I ended up getting my first big girl job and I moved to Rhode Island. I was living in Connecticut. I had lived in Connecticut basically my whole life. And then uh, once I graduated, I moved to Rhode Island, which obviously, it's you know, it's not that far from Connecticut to Rhode Island, but a whole new, you know, atmosphere, didn't really know anybody. So basically, I was starting my life again. So I, I was working for about a year in a real estate acquisition company. And after a year, I got laid off. It was in 2008 when the market crashed. and after that, I started drinking more because I didn't have anything really to do. you know I I laid by the pool during the summer and drank and hung out with a crowd that all they did was really drink all day long and go out at night um, in the in the scene in East Greenwich, Rhode Island, and just... I didn't have a purpose and I was just kind of going through the motions. And during that time, I met up with my son's father who I had known in high school and we reconnected and come to find out he was actually addicted to pain pills and, you know, he was doing cocaine, um, snorting suboxone things of that nature and I ended up getting pregnant and he didn't want me to have my son but I said you know I could do it I wanted to do it and I had my son in August of 2010 and I didn't really drink too much in the beginning of or after he was born, I didn't drink at all during pregnancy. And then after he was born, I was so tired and overwhelmed really that I didn't even think of drinking. It was just kind of an afterthought. But what really ramped up my drinking was a couple years when he was about three years old, my grandparents both died in a span of nine months. So my grandmother died, and then nine months later, my grandfather died. And they really raised me. They, you know, took me everywhere in the summer and took me strawberry picking and blueberry picking into all these restaurants. And um, I, I just did not know how to cope after they passed away. I just... I went to alcohol, and then a couple months after my grandfather died, my boyfriend at the time broke up with me. He, he cheated on me. So then it was just like a perfect storm. My grandparents dying, him breaking up with me, I just had no idea what to do, and the only thing I knew was that alcohol was letting me escape from all these feelings, and you know, time went on, and I, it didn't start out me drinking morning till night in the beginning. No, it was just, you know, a glass of wine after work, maybe two glasses of wine after work. And then it slowly started to increase. I would drink more on the weekends, and then I would drink more at night during the weeknights. And then towards the end of my drinking career, as I call it, I was drinking morning until night. I was taking shots of vodka before driving 45 minutes to work. And I know that is horrible. And I'm thankful every day that I did not hurt anyone or hurt myself in the, in this process. Um, and it got to the point where I wasn't, functioning the way I should be at work I was very high functioning but I wasn't performing the way that I had been for the last five years so I lost my job and I ended up just I didn't have any I had there was like no worth I didn't I felt like I didn't deserve anything I just pretty much Drank all day long. Um, All the money that I had for unemployment benefits just went to alcohol. Um, And basically, I just was living in hell. And at first, it really started because I was so anxious. I just wanted to get rid of that anxiety. So you know, once the the wine hit my lips, I automatically felt like, okay, um, you know, I'm I'm better now. But that wasn't the case. the The alcohol was just fueling my anxiety. It was making it ten times worse, and I just got in this vicious cycle that I couldn't get out of. And on November fourteenth, twenty sixteen i woke up woke up i it's i wasn't even sleeping i was taking naps basically towards the end i would go to bed or pass out at 10, 10, o'clock at night. And then I'd wake up at two, three o'clock in the morning. And I couldn't fall back to sleep because I had so much anxiety that I'd reach for the, the wine bottle on my nightstand just so I could fall back to sleep and then wake up again at seven to bring my son to school. It was, it was a nightmare. So on November 14, 2016, I Got up and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I literally felt like I was going crazy, and if I didn't stop, that I would die. And I was just so scared, and I knew that being a single parent, that my son needed me. Um, his dad's never been in the picture, so. Without me, he would have nobody. And that really opened my eyes to like, okay, I need to do this, and I need to get help, and I can't moderate. That's just not possible for me. So that's when I ended up going to detox that night, and I haven't had any alcohol since since that day.
0: Well, congratulations.
1: Thanks.
0: Yeah, I, I think the whole um... – being isolated and finding no way—I I know with with my own story—I had I had three kids when I stopped drinking. I honestly could not see a way to cope with the day until I realized that I was going to die if I stayed uh, doing what I was doing, and that I couldn't do that to myself or my kids. Now you talk about your son. How old was he when you went into detox?
1: He was six, so he was getting to the age where he started to see that I was sick, and I was, you know, throwing up, and like, you know, even now, I, there was, I don't know, it was a couple months ago, I wasn't feeling great, and I had a stomach bug, and that was the first time I had gotten sick since, being hungover um, in Rhode Island because I'm I'm back in Connecticut now. I moved back to be closer to family, and he associates Rhode Island with me being sick. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm so grateful that I stopped when I did because it could have been a lot worse for him um, and more traumatic.
0: And you were you've been honest with him. You've- <laughs> yes, I have and how is how how did that how did that go i mean how is how is he how has he felt about it or how does he how do you talk to him about it
1: you know he i about like a year and a half ago i was creating this sober mom tribe website and he was like what does sober mean and i was and I said, you know, it, it means not drinking alcohol and not doing drugs. And he's like, well, you're sober now, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sober. So he he understands now. And it's funny, like when we pass like a, a liquor truck or a beer truck, he's like, oh, alcohol is bad. And I'm like, yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm really grateful that, i'm able to speak on it and let him know i think education is key and letting them and you know really showing them and telling them that alcohol is a harmful substance it's not just because it's advertised in all these places doesn't mean it doesn't have any harmful effects so he he understands whether that means when he gets in high school, you know, most likely he's going to experiment at one point. I can't, you know, I can't predict that. But just having that education and him being aware is a great step.
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's really important that kids know that these, these are dangers that over drinking or getting addicted to uh, alcohol are today even more more prevalent is opioids and to understand how addiction works and to understand uh, the warning signs of it is such an important gift to give a child especially if they have a parent who has had a problem with addiction um, then they have an idea of, they can notice those behaviors in themselves and hopefully catch them early enough if, if it becomes a problem but i think awareness and education are just the greatest gifts that we can give our kids um when it comes to getting sober and what that has been like for us i don't think we do them any favor any favors if we try to hide um our struggles or if we you know oh. try to pretend that oh no everything's fine everything's fine that's that that was me when i was drinking no oh, i got this i got this everything's okay. good it's good no problem Um, so you talked a bit about anxiety and, and therapy, and would you tell me just a little bit more about how, was anxiety something that was always there and that you discovered that alcohol became a way to cope with it? And and how, and how did drinking affect your anxiety? And then how have you coped with it since you've been sober?
1: So I first had anxiety back in my early 20s. Um, It was my senior year of college. I had a traumatic incident happen. And, you know, looking back now, now I know I can see that correlation. But it wasn't it wasn't debilitating. I, you know, I did go to a therapist back in, you know, when I was 22 and I saw her for a year and I quote unquote graduated from, you know, seeing her. And then, you know, in my mid twenties, I didn't have any anxiety. And that's something that I question because I was drinking a lot then at that point too, but I wasn't feeling those debilitating anxiety the next day. Um, So I'm not sure why, you know, in my late 20s and early 30s, it was affecting me more than it was in my mid 20s. But it definitely was it got to the point where, like I said, I just couldn't even function. Um, I was just trying to get rid of those racing thoughts and panic attacks. Were thinking I was going to die and having this huge fear of death. And you know, I thought the alcohol was making it better, but looking back, it wasn't. It was the exact opposite.
0: Alcohol is tricky that way. Yes. So since you've been sober. You you talk about your therapist and and how she's been life saving. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with anxiety anxiety or when th- that sort of thing comes up without alcohol?
1: Sure, you know, in the beginning it was definitely tough, but once you remove the alcohol, I don't think people realize how much it it makes your anxiety. More manageable. So, yes, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh no, I never have anxiety or I never have a panic attack. I do, but they're so few and far between. And now when I have them, I know that they're going to pass. I don't. You know, I don't go in that downward spiral of like, oh my God, I'm going to die. Like, you know, I'm going to have a heart attack or whatever the case may be. I say, okay, you know, I'm uncomfortable right now. I'm okay. Nobody's going to die. And, you know, I either journal or I just sit here and, you know, try and distract myself with meditation or music. And it's just being uncomfortable for those 10 to 15 minutes and knowing that it passes. And, you know, in the beginning, I had to really train myself that I'd rather be uncomfortable for 10 to 15 minutes right now instead of having, you know, debilitating anxiety for the whole day the next day but once you start doing it and once you start practicing it it gets so much easier and you build up the confidence and momentum to see that okay like this isn't that bad yeah I, I love
0: that the whole being uncomfortable for 15 minutes versus debilitating anxiety for an entire day right yeah so your recovery, uh, you know, I've, I've looked at all your social media accounts and you're a bit of a badass about recovery. Thank you. <laughs> I, 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 I love the stuff that you post. In fact, some of them I send to my own daughters. Yeah, there was one where you said, you know, honey, he's not going to notice that post. Go do your business plan. Yes. <laughs> I just loved that. But it. You know, were, were you always like that or was that something you found in recovery? Because you really have a no-holds-bar approach and a directness about dealing with recovery and about things that affect young women of today.
1: You know, I've always had, you know, I've always been pretty blunt. I've always been a person that says what's on my mind, Um And, you know, earlier in my life, it definitely wasn't for the good. (laughs) It was, you know, saying things that I shouldn't be and, you know just causing more harm than good. But now I use my voice in a way that comes across as like you said, more direct and passionate. And it's, you know, not everybody's gonna like it and that's okay. And that's something that I've really had to work on. Um, especially in the past year or so since, you know, Sober Mom tribe is getting bigger. And I have to accept that this is who I am, and if you don't like me, that's okay. You know, not everybody is, but this is how I present myself, and this is how I want others to, you know, perceive me. And, you know, it's really refreshing once you get to that point of not caring what others think and just doing what you want to do. Um, and, you know, that's the other thing, too, is I, you know, I I don't just talk about sobriety on my personal profile. Like I like humor. I like quick wit. Like I'm not I'm more than just sobriety. So on my personal profile, I will definitely take it, you know, a little bit farther.
0: Yeah. And I think that you really touch on something that is really pivotal in in becoming sober is that self-acceptance. You know, this this is who I am and it's okay if you don't like me. The thing that a lot of people do and that I know I personally did was I tried to, to mold myself into the expectations of whoever I was in front of. The path to learning to be okay with me the way I am was like this, this huge light bulb going off. You know, What do you mean you can be actually like the person that you are and not the person that you think you should be. And if that, you know, if that is a, a gift I can give to anyone and especially to my daughters, I, I think that is, is absolutely huge. So I agree. Yeah. Now the, the sober mom tribe, how many people do you have in there now?
1: Um, it's, I think it's about, Twenty three thousand five hundred or twenty four thousand, something of that number on Instagram, and then it's about thirty five hundred in the private Facebook group.
0: And I think that is is just speaks so much to the need for this sort of uh, support for moms who are approaching sobriety. When I when I did it, there was no Facebook, there was no Instagram, and it was it was it was very sort of a, a quiet way to do it. I didn't know I had one option and that was AA. And now the the I mean social media gets blamed for all sorts of woes in the world. But here you are taking social media and really turning this need into um, in, into a force for good and helping moms get sober, stay sober, understand that, you know, sobriety is a life path and it's not a death sentence. It's not the end of fun. It is it is the beginning of all sorts of wonderful things. So just tell me a bit about how that idea came to you and, and how you started the group and just just tell us a little more about it because I, I think it's just a fabulous resource. I, I really wish I had had it. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, you know, So I was on a sober girls guide podcast Uh and we were talking about, you know, the sober mothers and how there wasn't really any, I mean, there was a few resources, but nothing that I saw that was, that fit my need of what I wanted. So when I got off that podcast, I was like, you know what, I'm creating this like, I'm gonna do it. Um, So in July of 2018, I started the Instagram profile. And I started getting more traction. And I started seeing that there are more of us out there than I ever even thought possible. And through the last just year and a half, um, it's exploded beyond my wildest dreams. And getting messages from mothers on a daily basis saying how inspiring the page is, how inspiring the mothers are, how, you know, certain things on the page got them through a rough day. That's, you know, that's life changing. Like, I can't even comprehend like how many lives possibly me and all the other sober mothers have changed just from telling our stories. And, you know, that's the legacy I want to leave behind. I want to be known as the woman who, you know, really started leading the sober mom movement. And, you know, part of it is because it's the the mommy wine culture, it's, you know, feeling left out when everything revolves around wine, when playdates and t-shirts and coffee mugs and memes and whatever else is out there, it's all about, you know, surviving motherhood with wine. No, you don't need wine or alcohol to survive, survive motherhood. And you And we get so stuck in that trap and it's so, it's scary because you don't even know you're in that trap because you think you're quote unquote normal because everybody else is drinking the same amount. But no, it's, that is not a normal amount of alcohol that one should be drinking every day. Um, And I think Opening eyes to that is huge. So not having mothers hit a low rock bottom like I did, you know Preventing that is is something that I always want to do
0: Yeah, and yeah. I was gonna say that the mummy wine culture was something I was going to touch on because that's one of my personal things it is everywhere you it's it's on they, they put it on onesies you know, I'm right. the reason Mummy needs wine. Um, right.
1: And I'm not here to judge, you know, mothers who drink. I'm not here to judge anybody who drinks. But it's sending a bad, it's setting a bad example for our kids. And the narrative is so played out by now. It's just like, okay, it's not even funny anymore. Like, we get it. Um and we don't, it's just, I don't know, it's mind boggling. When, when I removed alcohol and now that, you know, I'm seeing all the marketing and seeing that it's targeting mothers, it's really just, it's sad.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is. And it's, it's one of, as my, as my daughters would call it, it's one of my soap boxes where it's like, all right, I'm going to have a bit of a rant now. And it's going to yeah. be, it's going to be about these mugs. It's, It's crazy. I remember when I would go to my kid's soccer game that I just assumed everybody had wine in their reusable water bottle. And and also in my own sobriety, what I found was when I stopped drinking that I discovered, well, hey, not everybody was drinking as much as I was. That was a bit of a light bulb, but I also got quite a bit of pushback. That's something that you come up against when you change a habit like that, especially one as pervasive as drinking. So can you talk about, I mean, did you experience pushback?
1: I didn't really experience a lot of pushback because I went to detox. Like people knew that my problem, I had a problem. Like there was no like, oh, you know, maybe I'm a, you know, have one too many glasses of wine you know, every couple of weeks or so. It was definitely like, I had a problem, you know, nobody was going to deny that. So I didn't have a lot of pushback. But, you know, my clients have a lot of pushback. Um, When they first go alcohol free from a lot of people and that's because I believe it's because people don't want to question their own relationship with alcohol. What is, what does it say if they're drinking the same amount as a person who thinks that they have a problem? So that's why it becomes, you know, it becomes this tricky territory.
0: Yeah. And there's, I I think that's very accurate is that Someone not drinking can shine an uncomfortable light on another person's own drinking habits. One of the things that you talk about is the different paths to uh, sobriety. And and I know this is something that you do with your clients. Can you talk a little bit about how there isn't just, you know, my way or the highway to get to sobriety? Talk about some of the different paths that sure. that people can take.
1: So, you know, obviously everybody's heard of the traditional route of AA and NA, but now, you know, there's many more options like Celebrate Recovery, there is Dharma Recovery, there is Smart Recovery, and there are courses that you can take, obviously there's Coaches. so when I talk to my clients, it's listening to their needs. Like, what do they want? Are they already a busy, overwhelmed mom with work and kids already that they can't fit in the, a meeting during the day? Then we'd go a different route. we go, okay, what can we do online? Is there something that we can, you know, do you want to do AA, but you just can't find the time to go in person, then, okay, let's do the online AA meetings. Or, you know, if you just really want that support and accountability, then, you know, the Sober Mom Tribe Facebook group provides that. And, you know, coaching provides that. With my clients, I check in with them every single day to hold them accountable. Um, Another great thing, too, is getting back into what really they enjoy. But the thing is, they have a hard time figuring out what that is because they've used alcohol to fill those that time, the time of boredom or just whatever. So finding something that they enjoy can be a little hard at first, but it's also very rewarding. Um, so a lot of my clients and, you know, women in recovery will get into working out and yoga and, you know, eating healthier because as we know, you know, we definitely feel a lot better mentally when we're feeding our body with, you know, healthy foods and moving our body.
0: So how do you personally stay motivated? Do you find working with clients is enough? or How do you run your own program or your your own sobriety? What are the tools that you use for yourself?
1: Sure. So in the beginning, um, my therapist did push me to try AA and I did. I went to different meetings and at different times, different locations, and I just didn't find my tribe. So, you know, that's another reason why I created Sober Mom Tribe. But what I do for my own personal recovery without AA or any meetings is really it's helping others. I'm, I feel like I'm constantly, you know, either whether it's my clients or people on Instagram or on Facebook, I'm, you know, really helping them. So helping others helps me stay sober. And then, um, You know, blogging, writing definitely helps me reading. I read a ton now. Uh, I used to love to read before I started really drinking heavily. And I now that I'm back into the reading groove, it's just like amazing. Um, It's amazing to be learning new things and reading for fun. So I do that. And then also it's um service, it's volunteering, it's giving back in the community and things like that. So what would so what
0: would be uh give me top your top three book recommendations?
1: Ooh, yeah. you're gonna put me on the spot. Um yeah. <laughs> Definitely the Untethered Soul. That is definitely one of my top faves.
0: Mine too. And then
1: Um, sobriety related ooh that's hard I would say My Fair Junkie by Amy Dresner she is hilarious and I love the way that she's just so blunt with everything and my third would be Where the Crawdads Sing I read that probably about a month ago and that's just a fiction book and it's really really good
0: I'm gonna put all of these in the show notes, so I, I wrote that down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, it,
0: I, and the untethered soul for me it was it was amazing. The, the idea that you are not your thoughts and I think that is such a huge step for people who are caught up in, in the you know in the chatter that goes on in their mind. Just the, I used to call it, I still call it. It's the hamster wheel section of my brain. And that's where the thoughts go and they just spin faster and faster and faster and faster and get crazier and crazier. But the concept of that you are not your thoughts, you are the person who observes your thoughts and finding that space between, you know, you have a thought and then deciding what you want to do with it. People believe when a thought arrives in their head that it's a fact and that they, they need to have a relationship with it when actually you can say, yeah, maybe that doesn't actually serve me. I can maybe let that one go. Right.
1: I like the analogy that you used to the hamster wheel. You know, it's definitely true. We get in these negative thought patterns and we don't realize that they're just thoughts. They're not facts. They're not who we actually are.
0: Yeah. And I think that our brain will produce something like 60 000 to 80,000 thoughts a day. Yes most of them are repetitive, something like 80% of them are repetitive and most of them are negative.
1: Right. And And that's why, you know, coaches are so great too, because they switch your mindset to more of a positive. And that's, Another thing when we get sober, like it's so much more than the alcohol, it's getting rid of the people pleasing, like we mentioned before, the perfectionism and the low self-worth. We most just we feel bad about ourselves and we shame ourselves and having a coach helps you put things into perspective.
0: I mean, I think that's huge. I think shame probably kills more people because of the behaviors that shame causes in Brené Brown's work on what shame is and what shame does and and her starting an open dialogue about it and bringing that out in the open and she talks about how shame cannot survive being brought out in the open and being put in sunlight and I, I, I think that is revolutionary especially for women because it it seems to be something that's ingrained in the culture is that we are being made to feel bad about ourselves and our body right from the get-go. It's with advertising, with what we see on TV, with the, you know, you go through Instagram and every ad that I see, uh, is, is something that's geared. Well, if I want it to look younger or I want to look better or if, uh, and I, I think this was Russell Brand that said it. He said, if everybody was perfectly happy the way they were, then nobody would be able to sell anything. Right. The, the sure. idea of marketing is it just, it feeds into our own feelings of inadequacy. And if, right. I, if I get this, then I'm going to feel better or then I'm going to be able to, to fix this thing about me that that isn't good or that isn't acceptable or that I feel ashamed of.
1: Right, and that's what they do. That's what researchers for marketing firms, that's what they do. They look for those those insecurities to target you um to buy their stuff.
0: Yeah, and and I think women and girls are targeted exponentially more so and it's I yeah, I've raised two daughters and it's a battle, you know, to for sure to teach the self love and to again find that critical eye when you look at something is like, well, what are they trying to sell you? Where are they trying to make you feel bad? Where where are they trying to? Because this is how they get, how they get in,
1: right? Yeah. But but your daughters are lucky to have have you as a mother because my the relationship that I had with my mother was not like that, and I think. That contributed it to my alcoholism too so yeah I'm showing felt- your daughter self-love and self-worth and things of that nature will definitely help them in the future
0: I, I read a bit about that with your mom and I I have a similar a similar relationship my mother was what will people think you can never be too skinny or to this or to that and In my own parenting a lot of a lot of what i focused on was not parenting the way i was parented yes but it was a process for me to come to that um understanding about how to have a relationship with my mother that had boundaries and i know that's something that that you have you know you have talked about as well but the importance of boundaries and how they can allow you to still have relationships with people, but not become relationships that are damaging. Yep, absolutely.
1: And that's, you know, uh, something I've had to work on tremendously in recovery is that relationship with my mother and, you know, cutting her off at certain points in my, my journey, because she was just detrimental to my mental health. Um, but we've gotten back to a better balance. Um, and I'm able to hold that boundary instead of her walking all over it and just being like, it's no big deal. Like I'm just going to do what I want. Um, so I've definitely been holding my ground more to enforce those boundaries.
0: So tell me a bit about this hypnotherapist training that you've done.
1: So I am doing training through Yes Supply and that it includes the NLP certification and the clinical hypnotherapist certification and EFT certification and, you know, really um, mindset coach type of, of work of information. And it's definitely been really rewarding. Um, it's definitely, I've seen, and I've, she has, she speaks a lot, um, towards just being a person who accepts who you are who doesn't judge other people really just from a place of love for everything and accepting that people are the way that they are because of certain you know circumstances and it has nothing to do with you um so you know she's really helped me in my own perception of myself as well and perception of the of the world um But, yes, the the certification is definitely intense. It's, you know, I'm not all the way through it yet, and I'll definitely be done by the beginning of the year. At least that's my goal. So I can use that with my clients and, you know, bring that into the coaching, the, the recovery coaching.
0: Yeah, that sounds like it would be something really helpful.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, it's helped me so far, so... Obviously, I'm sure it'll help others.
0: And your your tribe is going to uh, a membership site.
1: Yes, today actually. I am creating. I created a membership site. So what that will entail is one group coaching call a month. I'll have virtual pop-up coffee chats. I call them throughout the month. Uh, You know, guest speakers and twenty-five percent off discounts for. The challenges that I hold, my coaching packages, merchandise, and also I'm actually going to do daily accountability check-ins because I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with, someone who can't hold them accountable every day. And the price point is super low uh, because I want others who haven't been able to afford the bigger Type packages to still experience coaching, to still be a part of a tribe that is a smaller network to form those deeper connections. And, you know, this weekend, so the 15th, 16th and 17th, um, the membership is super inexpensive for everything that it includes. It's $33 a month um, for, you know, lifetime uh, until you cancel. I mean, you can cancel at any time and then it'll go up to $49 a month after that. But I really think it's an affordable avenue for a lot of mothers out there who either can't make it to AA meetings all the time or that's you know just not their path and they'd rather do more things online. So I'm super, super excited about it.
0: Yeah, that's that sounds amazing. That sounds like it will be... A way to bring sobriety and service to even more people.
1: Yes. And that, you know, that's always the goal. I try and find that balance um, because I do want to help as many as I can, but I can't, you know, it's not possible to help everyone.
0: It's not. But I think by helping mothers, especially your focus, by helping mothers, you are also helping entire families. I mean, if you help one mother, you help everyone in her family and that it'll also affect people in her community so i think by affecting and helping mothers find sobriety and and find self-acceptance and all the wonderful gifts that come with sobriety you are changing generations to come because this is going to affect children who will grow up to be parents and will have this knowledge that you gave your sons so i th- i think this is a very powerful and wonderful thing that you're doing.
1: Thanks. Yeah, it gives me chills and it makes makes me teary-eyed to think about that because it's true. I had a client who started with me a couple months ago and, you know, her and her husband were in a rocky relationship and the kids, the whole family dynamic was off. And, you know, since we started working together, you know, the their, her kids have been more receptive to her she's been sitting down with them and actually working through their feelings together instead of just being like oh go play this or go watch that yeah. um it's and her daughter actually said like I like your coach mommy because <laughs> you seem happier now and that's like that's all I could ask for like honestly that is why I do what I do and that's why I will continue to keep doing it is for that for that reason
0: yeah I mean that's that's amazing and then also I guess in that same light you're going to be launching a podcast
1: I am so I've had a lot of who have asked for a podcast, wondered when I'm gonna to start a podcast and I've been putting up, putting it off for a while now, but I decided about a month or so ago to launch a podcast in January. Uh, you know it'll probably be in the middle of the month of January, um, starting to line up guests and figure out what questions I want to ask and it'll be about, you know, sober parenting, the ups and downs and really digging in to that, that, that niche of parenting sober. Cause I haven't, you know, I really haven't heard a lot of podcasts like that. And that's what I've been getting feedback on too, that there aren't. So, you know, there's no better time to do it than now.
0: I love the idea of parenting sober. Yes. That is a whole, it's like starting all over. When you're. Exactly. You got to talk about feelings and you have to deal with things straightforwardly and. Oh. It
1: takes a lot of patience. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. So is there anything else you want to, you want to touch on or anything else that, you know, if you could say just two or three things to a mom who might be listening to this who's not sure if she needs to look at sobriety or who doesn't think this is something that she could do. What message would you have?
1: You know, there's millions of us in recovery who are proving every single day that you can do it. and yes, we're all unique. We all have a unique path, but that doesn't mean that you're special. It means that, and I'm not saying that in a negative way. I'm saying that you can do it. You, there is nothing that you can't do. You have to stay consistent and you have to be patient. You know, these things didn't didn't happen to me overnight. I had the same I'm sure I ha you're having the same thoughts that I had in the beginning of I can't do this forever. Like how am I gonna get through the holidays? How am I gonna, you know, do this for the rest of my life? It's not you have to just think of the 24 hours ahead of you, keep going keep building confidence keep growing keep learning know that you're not always right which sometimes I still have trouble with um but just keep going and stay consistent stay persistent and you will find your path and I think finding your purpose is another you know big thing that should be on everyone's list because when we find our purpose, we finally have something that really lights us up and that gives us life and hope.
0: I think finding your why, because once you know the why instead of the, the what's or the should's, right, your, your why is what will fuel you from the inside, from your heart. Right. And you, you brought up the holidays, and I just want to touch on that because you know, we're coming up in a stressful period where there's families and, and foods and get togethers and parties and do you have any any tips that you're using with your clients or with your group about how to how to manage the holidays sober?
1: First and foremost, you do not have to if there is a family member that triggers you or you just feel like, you know, you don't have enough sober time under your belt to handle a Thanksgiving or Christmas at a relative's house, then don't go there. You don't have to, you know, in the beginning of your sobriety journey, you have to do what's best for you. And it's not like this is, it's going to be like this forever, but protecting yourself, from potential, you know, slips in the beginning I think is huge. Obviously, you know, if you feel like it's not going to be a trigger, then go. But if you go, always have an exit plan, you know, if you're feeling uncomfortable, park on the street. Don't park in the driveway so everybody's parking around you or if you can get outside you know, take a couple deep breaths or go to the restroom and take a couple of deep breaths, um, remove yourself if you're feeling uncomfortable. And then, you know, always having, a drink in your hand. So having a non-alcoholic option, whatever that may be, um, so that you don't feel tempted to reach for whatever alcohol they're serving.
0: And, And that's another thing that, uh, I, I, I love this trend right now towards fun, non-alcoholic drinks. Yes.
1: yes because we don't work. feel like outcasts. Like, we don't want, just want plain water. You know, we want something fancier. Yeah.
0: The options used to be, well, I'll have a soda water and an eye roll. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you're drinking soda water? Yeah. Right. Because <laughs> that's all there is. But there are are so many interesting options right now and ways to, you know, have a beverage that is fun and festive that doesn't have alcohol.
1: There are. And, you know, it is fun. Like, people, we have this... I think society, we we have this narrative that if we don't drink, things aren't going to be fun and sober people are boring, but it's not that way at all. And I think a lot of us, we don't give it a chance. We give up too soon. And if you give it a chance, you'll see that you can have just as much fun sober and you actually remember it all. And, you know, doing things with my son and remembering things and just looking at his face and seeing the joy just makes everything worth it. Like I those are the moments that I live for because those are the moments that I missed when I was drinking.
0: It's it's funny you talk about being able to remember them. In my interview with Patty, we joked about sober AF, but we meant sober and fun. Yes, and the best part is you go you have fun and you wake up the next day, you feel great, and you remember it.
1: Exactly, <laughs> that, there is no, I mean, honestly, there is no cons to being sober, there really isn't.
0: Yeah, and that that I, I think is a, an important message to give people who are, are thinking about sobriety that its it's fun, you have a good time. And then you don't have that debilitating hangover or shame or wonder what you did the night before. It was like, wow, what a great time I had. Yeah. That's been one of the, one of the greatest gifts that I've had in, in my sobriety. Absolutely. All right. So we're, we're, we're just going to finish up now. Is, is there anything else that you, that you would say? I mean, I feel like we touched on a whole lot of things,
1: I think I'm good. I feel like, like you said, I feel like we touched on various topics, and I enjoyed it.
0: Well, that's wonderful. And I'm just, this seems such a fortunate day to be talking to you. you know, your I know. Today, day. Your anniversary.
1: I know. Um,
0: yeah, talk about sober AF. Yeah, <laughs> and fun. Well. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for for spending this hour with me and sharing your path. And I think this is going to keep going and paying it forward and is going to help other people who will in turn affect their families and help other people. So all of this energy is just moving towards making the world better for people, making People happier in themselves and I'm just I'm I'm so honored and happy that you spent this time with me to share your gift and what you're doing in the world
1: oh thank you and I'm uh, honestly humbled and honored that you think that way of me like sometimes I still have imposter syndrome I'm like I'm not doing anything like this is no big deal but at the in the grand scheme of things it is a big deal
0: yeah